Welcome to Fragmented, a software developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better developers. My name's Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. Before we get going, I wanted to let you know about a product that I'm creating called Stoa. Stoa is a platform for community creators and anyone really who is building a community. Maybe you have a community that you are passionate about, such as photography, or maybe it's something in regards to cars or motorcycles or woodworking or anything of that nature. Maybe it's dancing. Whatever your community is, if you're looking to build it and monetize it, Stoa is a place for you. You can have discussions, communicate privately with DMs and private chats, and have various different spaces internally where you can discuss all the different things regarding your community and monetize it as well. If this is something that's interesting or you know of someone else who's interested in it, you can go to getstoa.com, plug in your email address, and when we launch, you'll get three months free of the product. And as well, you can always reach out to me directly if you have questions. So again, that is Stoa. You can go to getstoa.com for more information. Thanks. Kaushik, my man, we're back on again. This is two times in a month. This is great. I know. It's like a much more improved. We have recorded more episodes in the last two months than we have in the last two years, I think. <laughs> I think we have, but it feels good to be back in, back in the uh, setup, actually. And uh, today was felt like old times, actually, because... We actually have a guest today that we're going to talk about something pretty interesting uh, that I'm interested to learn about, um, and uh, I have you to thank for setting that up. So, uh, without further ado, I would like to introduce um, Constantine to the show. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Um, Kaush, do you want to kind of give a little bit of background of why Constantine's on the show and kind of how we got to where we are right now? Yeah, absolutely. So Constantine is a mutual friend of a good friend. And, you know, we got talking uh, some time back. And uh, Constantine, for the folks who don't know, is like an amazing software engineer. I'm sure he's going to like say no, because that's like, you know, just the kind of person he is. But he's a fantastic uh, mobile engineer. He's done iOS, he's done Android. And I won't take away the thunder. So we will definitely ask you to introduce yourself, Constantine. But the thing that piqued my interest was I noticed that uh, Constantine joined Brex semi recently, so congrats on that. Uh, you know, he's, he works as a, uh, um, a staff engineer there. But interestingly, Brex had like a blog post that was shared about using this variant of React Native called Expo, and I didn't quite understand it, but I saw Constantine share it as well and talk, uh, you know, good things about it. So I figured, hey, this is our chance. I'm sure the listeners of Fragmented would be super curious, um, especially because in the Android world and semi-recently, people have come to this conclusion that React Native doesn't exactly work. There's a very famous Airbnb post by, you know, our our friend Gabriel who. Um, even came on to Fragmented some time back and talk. This is episode 129 and 130. We'll try to add these to the show notes. So I was curious. There seems to be like this resurgence of React Native, especially with this variant called Expo. So I was curious, like uh, given that I know Constantine and I'm sure he's used it, we wanted to find out more about this. Like what is, you know, is how close to React Native is it? How does Brex use uh, Expo? Is Expo like, you know, has it solved some of the problems that we've noticed in the past with uh, React Native? 
what does it give us? Just a good refresher of maybe using React Native. So that's where it all started. But maybe we can kick it off first before we even get into this and let you introduce yourself, Constantine. So, you know, uh, yeah, how did you get into Android development? And yeah, tell us like what got you down this path. Yeah, definitely. So I'm currently a staff engineer at Vex and I'm working as a part of a mobile team and namely kind of as a part of a sub team inside of a mobile organization that we call mobile platform. We are focusing on kind of scaling the operations of mobile at Vex, uh, a lot of infrastructural work, a lot of tooling work, and a lot of work with libraries and patterns and basically everything that will help us scale at some point. I started originally as a Java developer back in the days. I was developing plugins for Jira and Confluence, basically for Atlassian stack. I wasn't very fulfilling. I was looking to switch to something more uh, consumer-facing. And Android was a good choice because I knew Java. And also, I didn't have MacBook back in the days, so I couldn't start iOS development. Yeah, so I basically, I learned Android. This is, yeah, I landed a job as an Android developer in a small startup. And because it was a small startup, I basically had to wear a lot of different hats. And like I switched to iOS development after that and also did some web development and backend development uh, throughout the years. Uh, I got into Android quite a long time ago, I would say. It was like era of Android 2. We just got Android 4. So we just were like we were adopting fragments and so on. So, uh, and I lived with uh, native mobile development for more than eight, maybe even nine years at this point, uh, doing like very deeply both Android and iOS development. So kind of very comfortable with both of them. And yeah, like last year I switched to a company called Brex, B-R-E-X, uh, which is a React Native shop basically. So we were doing React Native plus Expo and it was a very interesting journey for me. And I was looking forward to kind of trying out something new in my stack, especially because I also had experience as a web developer uh, back in the days, I believe 2015, 2016, the early versions of React plus Redux stack. So I was somewhat like familiar with the technologies and so on. And I was actually back in the days, I was very amazed about like React and like the way it let you uh, move your development very fast and uh, release a lot of tough rapidly. That makes a lot of sense. I, I wanted to kick it off first by maybe starting with this, because I guess maybe it was around 2018 where like, you know, there was this movement in the Android world where everyone's like, hey, React Native doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. You mentioned Expo. So maybe let's kick it off with that. Like, what is Expo? Is Expo like a company? Is it like a library? Is it uh, yeah, just give, you know, I've not heard as much as uh, of Expo. So like, just maybe start off there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, like if you open the Expo website, they'll say it's something that their platform and the framework and their set of tools and services for React Native development or for universal React app development. And because they say so many different things, it's kind of complicated to understand what they are in a sense. But in a sense, I would say that they kind of all of that at the same time, and they're none of that like in uh, at the same time as well. Like let's say they have their own infrastructure, but are they competing with infrastructural uh, companies like Bitrise or CodeMagic for mobile development? Not really. So they have their own framework and set of libraries for expert development on top of React Native, but are they competing with React Native itself? 
not really because they're basically built on top of React Native. And like, if you look deep enough into every area, you'll understand that like Expo is basically just another stack on top of React plus set of some infrastructural and architectural tools for you uh, to simplify the development of React Native apps. And the rabbit hole is very deep with Expo. Like honestly, even being focusing on that for the last half a year, very deeply looking at different uh, generations of Expo and different uh, ways of applying that uh, to Brex, I'd say. I'm still not fully ramped up with that, I would say. So with Expo, I uh, what I'm hearing is like they are like this company that sort of like, you know, just gives you the tools to start using React Native in your apps more easily. Uh, is that like a very good, high? is that a good high level sort of? Yeah, yeah, Something. definitely. Yeah, I would say, like, honestly, if I'm about to draw a parallel to Android development specifically, I would say that Expo is kind of applying the same idea to what Google did to Android with the support library that became a Jetpack later on and a Firebase. So, like, let's say, like, Android, like Google realized that Android development has its own cons. Yes, yeah, like, if you're releasing a new version of Android, so you, you do have, let's say, like, what happened with like Android 3 and Android 2 when they release new fragments, you do have fragments for newer versions of Android, but you don't have them on an older versions of Android. And that's how they came up with a support library eventually. Yeah. So like they decided that all right, so we, we can ship we can ship additional library for you. So that will mitigate this issue in Android SDK itself. Uh, and eventually they also like bought and brought Firebase to Android developers saying that, you know, like you can use Firebase for a lot of things that will enable your development easier and faster and will be cheaper for you than other alternative solutions. And like you got uh, things like remote configs, some simple experimentation, you got things like analytics, you got things like Firebase performance monitoring and so on and so on. And like Expo in a sense is kind of applying the same idea to React Native stack. It says that or right, React Native has some problems so and we'll, we're solving that with a set of tools like libraries. Yeah, like kind of a support libraries and set of infrastructural changes that will enable you to move faster with React Native tools out of the box. And I would definitely say like Expo is kind of this like idea of like Jetpack plus Firebase to Android development. I really like that analogy. That actually makes a lot more sense now. You know, it's almost like this set of tools that doesn't have a specific place, but just enables you to use uh, the tech, so to speak. So yeah, yeah, exactly. And like Jetpack libraries are so common for Android development right now. No one questioning their quality. No one kind of questioning either they should be using them or not because they kind of provided by the same company right now, by Google, yes, and even probably by the same people who are developing uh, and advancing the Android developer. So that's why you just like start the Android application and you just use them by default. And that's what's happening in the React Native world right now with Expo. Yeah. So if you start React Native application, you're likely to be starting with Expo nowadays. Ah, so I, I had one last question about Expo and I'd, I'd, I'd like to use that as a kickoff point, uh, what you just said. But so Expo is a company, like, so there is a pricing. I see a pricing tab on their page, right? So what am I paying for with Expo? Do they also help with like deployments or the reason I ask is like, if I'm on the side, you know, as a side gig working on this small application and I want to use React Native because, you know, all the benefits that we're going to talk about, 
do I have to pay anything? Like, at what point, like, does that pricing kick in? Because, you know, is Expo the kind of tool that you would only use if you were part of a big company like Brex? Um, or, you know, as a regular Joe, you know, like as someone who just wants to work something on the side, would I also try to use something like Expo? I would say you do not need to pay Expo for simple apps for sure. Like even at the scale where we are right now at Brex, I would still, like we do pay for Expo. Like it's not very much. Uh, I believe it's like something around 30 bucks a month or something like that. I'm not sure. Like they, they do have a proxy. But yeah, the, the idea that Expo provides you some kind of infrastructure for building and deploying your applications to the marketplaces as well and to the OTA updates. And because they host this infrastructure, they need some kind of income to be able to sustain themselves. As a, let's say, a developer who wants to, who just want to build some uh, simple applications, you do not have to pay for that because they have free tiers. It just means that they might not provide the best infrastructure for you in this case. Okay, interesting. So uh, before we go uh, kind of into some more details of of Expo in general, I want to rewind a little bit and I was wondering if you might be able to kind of give some of the listeners might not be familiar with React Native and wonder if we could cover some of the benefits of React Native and why someone might want to go down this approach. And then kind of, you know, like, but that takes us from like, all right, here's kind of the ground groundwork of where we are. And then when we get into Expo, how does Expo really make that that much better? Would you mind explaining that to us? Yes, definitely. Starting with React Native, like React Native is, let me put it together. I would say that React Native is a good approach for cross-platform development nowadays. Like if we go back and uh, start from the very beginning, like let's say you're working in a company that doesn't have a mobile application nowadays, and you've never done mobile before, or maybe you've done mobile on some platform like Android or iOS, and you have a like hackathon approach and you want to build some mobile related thing, like you, you know, like you have a web version of your of your product and you see some good use cases for mobile, but you don't know how to build that. Then React Native is a probably the best tool nowadays to start with. Because like if you've done some web development, you're already familiar with the stack of development because React Native is basically React plus some native uh, specifics that are not really different from the React web development that much. And Expo is improving the React Native experience for you. Like, let's say if you go and you try to build a mobile application and you open Android Studio, like you install Android Studio, you open Android Studio, you create a new Android project, what it creates for you, kind of a hello world Android, it'll create a lot of things that you're not familiar with. Like it'll create things like an Android manifest, it'll create things like build, like Gradle build files and so on. And you've never worked with those technologies if you've never done Android development. Or if you've done Android development and you go to Xcode and create the iOS hello world, they'll create things like Xcode project for you, it'll create things like plist files and so on. So like still, like there are not that many people who are comfortable with both worlds. And likely if you want to build mobile application, you and you you don't have the mobile experience at all, React Native is probably the best choice for you because you're familiar with JS world to some extent. Uh, especially if you're a web front-end developer, you're familiar with React, likely. Like React is not the only tool for uh, web development, but like it's probably the most used tool nowadays. 
And that's where the React Native actually shines in the sense of like it gives you tools that you're already familiar with and it's good enough to start working as like MVP and so on and so on. And you can kind of ramp up after that. So when Expo comes in place, is that if you actually go and create a React Native application nowadays, like let's, let's say you, you go to a Facebook uh, React Native website and they'll say something like NPX, like React Native, we need my application. It'll still create, create a lot of infrastructure uh, that is very mobile related to you. Yeah, so because the mobile applications from the perspective of Google Play and App Store are still the same applications. So they still need things like Android manifest, Gradle build files to be able to package them. And the same for iOS, they'll still need things like Xcode projects, PLIS files, and whatever they, they need over there, and entitlement signing. Like, the, the rabbit hole is very deep in both platforms as well. And you kind of chose React Native because it's a tool that you're familiar with, but like you go and create a project and you get a lot of things that you're not familiar with. And that's kind of counter, like counterintuitive to you. You don't know what to do with them. Yeah, so you may start writing some code in React Native and it will work to some extent. But like, let's say if you want to use things like camera, yeah, so you need to have permissions. And like permissions are done differently between Android and iOS, yeah, because you have to inject some like uh, permissions into Android manifest. In iOS, it's like its own way. So they also have PLS files when you need to specify the kind of strings while you're requesting the permissions and so on. And you, as a developer who's not familiar with those tools, you're, you're going to struggle, like, trying to ramp up. Like, you, you're going to basically fight both stacks at this point. And that's where also maybe this experience of like Airbnb, when you have basically have three platforms, kind of showcase itself, that you need to know, like, Android development and iOS development to some extent to be able to even create some React Native application that it's just not like showing some static screen. Yeah? So you need to like request some permissions. You may want to change your app icon. Like it's also done differently and so on and so on. And that's where like people choose Expo over just a standard React Native application because Expo kind of said that, oh, you know, like there's lots of complexity over there. And this complexity also has a tendency to change throughout the lifecycle of those applications because your Android manifest files will change, your Gradle files will change. Google will change something in the sense of like how you have to structure Gradle files. Yeah, like we all remember this like switch from like kind of implementation to API and, and so on and so on and Gradle uh, linking. Uh, and they say that, you know, like we'll handle this complexity for you. So you'll have a nice CLI that you just like init your project and you'll not see all this complexity at all. And instead, you'll just have a config file for uh, your applications. Uh, that kind of will do the same. Yeah, so instead of just having a lot of those like native infrastructural pieces, you'll have one config file that you'll just specify whatever you want, kind of like the name of application, the icon of, of application, things like permissions and so on and so on. And Expo will handle that for you. So as a and at, at this point, because you're not having those native configurations at all. You don't even need Android Studio or Xcode at all because you're not building that. And Expo kind of providing you the other part of, kind of, of equation where they say that, you know, like you still need some binary application, kind of basically a standalone application to launch your code. But we created a kind of a superset of 
Expo standalone application that they called Expo Go that you can just go and install uh, from the App Store and Google Play. And you can launch your JavaScript code inside of this application. It will actually behave as a real native application in this case. Uh, it'll not have your icon, but it'll, it'll let you test your JavaScript uh, code uh, the same way as you would test just a standard application on the, on the device. Oh, that's cool. So it's almost like their version of an emulator. Kind of, yeah. So you download the Expo Go app, and then whatever you deploy from whatever editor you're using uh, as you write your JavaScript, it basically just sends. And this is only for development, I presume. Uh, yeah. So basically, majority of that focusing on development, because like as long as you want to deploy your applications to the Google Play and App Store, you still need to have this dance with like creating those applications. But Expo also simplifies that, so like it does it under the hood for you on those infrastructure. Actually, that's why you don't need to have export on even a macOS for iOS development because export has that on their side. And you just have a CLI I'm saying that, all right, I want to build my application and export will build it in the way that App Store expects the applications to be built. Got it. So the manifest file and all those things are almost generated like build time. So like you run some command and when you generate your APK, that's, I'm trying to think like, you know, in your GitHub repository, will you find an Android manifest file or would you basically just you have a configuration? Not. No, no, Got like, uh, if like Expo kind of has two workflows, the first one, basically the one that we are talking right now is called managed. And this workflow is when they manage everything for you and you'll not have those files, you'll not commit them to your GitHub repository, let's say. And when you want to deploy the application, you basically just have a CLI from Expo itself saying that, all right, so I just want to kind of build and deploy the application. They also have two different building systems, which we'll probably not dive into because like more, more complexity. Uh, but it's more about a like, question of scalability of Expo. We'll probably touch on that later on. But the idea is, yes, you, 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 don't, you don't see this complexity uh, on your side ever, uh, at least as long as you don't want to deal with like a lot of native extensions. Like let's say when you want to do things that Expo cannot do, then you might want to uh, understand how that works and like where you need to hook your changes into the Expo workflows and so on. Got it, got it. That, that is fascinating. One quick question which popped up as you were mentioning this. Does Expo allow like... Um, What's the term I'm looking for? You know, a hybrid sort of approach where, say, at some point, you know, I have like this weird bar barcode scanning library that is purely native that does this, hasn't been, you know, librarified, you know, uh, with React Native. I'm sure I, I I read that Expo allows some of that, but then is that also similar to then when you wouldn't go with the managed approach and you would choose something else, or does the managed approach also allow you to, you know? throw in like an activity or something like a native class in there? Uh, that, that's a good question. Uh, that's where we probably get into what ways you have as Expo. So as I mentioned, yeah, so they have two workflows. Like the first one is managed, which uh, the workflow that they manage for you. Uh, the other works to that. Uh, not every API from the native world is supported. Uh, plus, uh, you cannot easily inject the native pieces. Uh, so if you want to do something natively, uh, they have the second workflow that they call 
bare workflow that in a sense is just a standard React application, like React native application with Expo services because they have extra tooling infrastructure on top of just the standard React native stack as well. At this point, is basically when you switch from manage to uh, bare workflow, they have a CLI command called like eject. You kind of type expo eject, and they'll generate all these uh, artifacts for Android and iOS worlds for you. And after that, you can actually uh, you can actually uh, go and change them manually if you want to. Yeah, and at this point, it's basically just a standard React Native application. You can inject whatever you want. It has ways to uh, cross boundaries between GS world and the native world, attach like some native libraries, spawn some native screens if you want to attach whatever libraries you want. The way we deal with it at Brex and we kind of developed interesting system, uh, which is kind of similar to where Expo is moving with their system as well, is uh, we said that, all right, so we see values, we see value in managed workflow. Because basically people don't need to have Android Studio, people don't need to have Xcode, they can just come from the web experience. Like we have like some web developers just like contributing to mobile apps because again, so the setup is so easy. And for developers in a day-to-day life, we still keeping the managed workflow, but we kind of developed the system for plugins-ish when we deployed applications. Like when we want to add some native dependencies, we said that, all right, so day-to-day workflow, you have this nice experience with the managed workflow. You don't need to care about any infrastructural pieces in your code. Uh, it'll be done for you. But when we want to deploy the applications, we'll actually go through this ejection process and we'll just do additional things automatically for you, kind of a plugin system uh, that will inject more libraries, that will change some configurations that we might, we might not have the way to change through the export tooling itself. Uh, we may inject some libraries for uh, that don't have like React Native presence. Just like in, we need to change, like we need to inject them into the Coca port. We need to inject them into the uh, Gradle build files and so on. And uh, at this point, it's kind of a hybrid approach. Yes, like basically, like as a developer, you still see this managed workflow. You still have this Expo Go app. Uh, we kind of moved on from like Expo Go app itself. We'll probably also cover that later. But like you still have this workflow, you can just like anyone can install the Expo Go app and just scan a QR code from your uh, Expo Dev tool and open your application. And uh, they don't need to deal with like complexity at this point. And the complexity is solved for them. And that's actually the same thing that Expo is doing for the last maybe year, year and a half in their system as well. Uh, they introduce the system that they call like plugins and mods. That are basically done specifically for that. Like it's basically say kind of saying that you know, like we have this managed workflow, but it has limitations that we cannot do some things. So they've done the plugin system saying that, all right, so if you want to do some things when Expo will be building your application, you might write a plugin saying that, all right, so I want to do like these modifications during the process of ejection or like this new system I build, they call it pre-built. And you can eject whatever you want at this point. Hmm. That's fascinating. So this is like a new system that, I, I mean, I can see conceptually it makes sense where it's like, oh, you have plugins and each plugin almost is like what we typically consider like modules where it's like, look, it's this isolated piece. I'm going to do something in it and then weave it all together somehow in the end. 
Is that like one way to think about it? Because this plugin system, from what you're saying and what I uh, what I'm understanding, is that it does allow you to embed like a lot of native stuff, but you can just shove that all into a specific plugin. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would say it's it's very similar to the approach that Gradle has with plugins. Like, let's say if you like integrate a Firebase performance monitoring, yeah, so they have a plugin that you integrate, like, that you just place into your uh, build Gradle file, and they'll do some kind of modifications on your behalf. Yeah, so like this plugin doesn't mean that you cannot do them. Like you cannot do them yourself. You can. It's just they simplified it for you. And the same idea in Expos. They created this system of plugins for two reasons. Yeah. So first of all, you can do whatever you want inside of your infrastructure. And secondly, that the third-party libraries can also introduce plugins and start playing with Expo much nicer than they do nowadays. So a lot of configuration can be automated for that. Got it. And the so I'm I'm trying to think. So there is like these plugins. There's also like libraries, just like regular expo libraries right uh a, a common question that comes when you know we talk about react native and how it plays with like uh the native world is how do you do how is your database and networking stack you know are you using things like retrofit and okhttp or is there like an expo networking library that you start using uh, and more like how you use it because i know I'm, I'm sure as from what you're saying that both possibilities exist but i'm curious what you have found to work in your usage uh, at prex yeah yeah definitely uh i would say that basically like when we talk about the expo applications they are in the sense of just react native applications so you have uh, access to whatever the react native world provides to you especially if 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 it's just the js part of uh, libraries yeah like let's say you have a lot of libraries that are just working on js layer they're never crossing to a native layer in this case, you can use any of these libraries in the actual world easily. If they are crossing into the native layer, it's more tricky because the idea of uh, how the Expo, app, Expo Go app works is uh, the kind of a pre-built binary. Yeah, so they have a set of libraries that they already have. Kind of, they already have built into the Expo Go, and you cannot extend the Expo Go app itself. So if you want to bring something that has a native dependency, it might not work in an expo goal, but again, because of you have a plugin system, you may inject that into your real like standalone application eventually. In terms of like networking and databases, uh, we're trying to, because of those limitations, we're trying to stay as GS world as possible. Like for networking, basically, we, we don't have a database, I believe, in the mobile app right now. I I think for networking, we are not even using uh like let me put it together, sorry. For networking databases, what we use is uh, uh, we're using Apollo stack, basically. So we're using Apollo GraphQL libraries. We are not using Redux because Apollo has uh, a libraries for caching itself. So in this case, like because we are not using Redux, we are not using the kind of other caches and we're fully relying on Apollo cache, which is good enough for our use cases. We are not having like some other databases, we just don't need them. We do have some libraries for storing some simple values, like kind of think of like shared preferences or user defaults from Android and iOS worlds. Uh, there are libraries that already cover that and they actually inject it into the Expo Go app, like a SIG storage library, let's say that's basically kind of the 
counterpart for the JS world. And because so many people are using that, Expo Go decided that, all right, so we'll just inject this library. So it'll even work in Expo Go app itself. In this case, basically, majority of our logic is in JS. We are not using native libraries like Red or Feed or uh, Dagger or whatever uh, on Android stack. We don't really have like Android code that much, I would say. That's interesting. If you don't have Android code, do you, how do you ship these updates to to the application? Are they are they just can you? Uh, I guess the question is, can you do it without having to ship an, uh, an APK update, or do you still have to ship APK updates, or or what's that process look like? You you still do have to ship APK updates. So basically, when you're trying to build a, a Expo project, uh, they have a CLI for you to. Uh, either build it on their services or you can eject it again so and build it on your services. In this case, that's what we do usually. But the idea is that they're providing the way for you to build the native applications eventually yeah, and bundle your JavaScript code inside of those native applications so when people open them, when people download them from the Play Stores, like Apple Stores, like App Stores, you can just open that and it'll work right away. Okay. And you said before you know, that you're not including any... Android libraries or anything like that, but is it possible maybe if there's some component that's already been written in Android or iOS that I want to use, can I integrate that with an with a with an Expo app, or is that not possible? Yes, definitely. Yeah. So basically, there are many ways to do it. I would say, uh, like in React Native, they have something like called like React Native modules. Basically, that's a way to cross boundaries between React Native itself and the native layer, and those modules. Likely, if you have them in-house, they're likely going to exist into the infrastructure pieces of Android and iOS. And because Expo knows that those pieces will not be available to you in a managed workflow, they develop something that they call like Expo modules that are kind of a system on top of React Native modules uh, to let you do the same thing. They're much easier. And much simpler because again, so Expo like takes a lot of complexity from your hands. So you're just writing those pieces of code like in native world. And they even like provide you kind of uh, type safety with Swift and Kotlin uh, for JS world. Like I build mostly for TypeScript world <laughs> because like JS doesn't like doesn't really have much of type safety. Uh, and in this case, you can just like drop any native code into Expo app, and they'll eventually bundle that as a React. Like React Native modules, they'll do it for you because there is a lot of like boilerplate for that. And just a quick follow-up, you mentioned TypeScript and that was a question that came up before as well. So when you develop your apps, are you writing it mostly in TypeScript or pure JavaScript? Uh, or yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I would say nowadays, especially for React Native, TypeScript is kind of a default option. I believe like when I was starting my web journey back in like 2015, like people were a bit reluctant about taking TypeScript instead of JavaScript because they weren't sure about like the long-term like performance impact of that and Babel kind of transpilation, whatever that's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, and nowadays in the React Native world, like TypeScript definitely makes more sense than JavaScript because it's type safe to some extent. The TypeScript is not similar to Swift and Kotlin. The type system, like the typing system is very different itself because like there are a lot of things that are like in the TypeScript world, you may have a lot of functions that are operating the types themselves, which is not common in Kotlin or Swift. It's basically kind of a reflection, but because the TypeScript has this idea of like, it has to be 
compatible with JavaScript that doesn't have typing. So you may have some like functions that derive types out of the like, JavaScript code that changes types, like kind of dropping some fields or enriching some types with other fields and so on and so on. Like from a perspective of a native developer, it does actually look like a reflection, but that's very common in type like TypeScript world, and you can actually even write tests for that, and people do. So, but that has its own learning curve, I would say. Like TypeScript typing system is different from Kotlin and Swift, and you need to spend time learning that. Makes sense. Makes sense. So this is there's tons of awesome things that I'm hearing about Expo, uh, how it can save me a lot of time. You know, I got this nice configuration file. I can integrate with existing libraries stuff I, I need. It sounds like a, a real win here, and I'm always I kind of want to be as practical as possible. So I'm wondering, are there any disadvantages uh, to Expo, or have you run into any of the weird issues uh, that you maybe have not seen just from trying out some of the sample apps, or anything people should be aware of when they try it? Yeah, yeah, I think like maybe the biggest disadvantage that we had so far that I've seen in Vax is uh, Expo introducing some under the hood complexity. Like, let's say you're developing an Android app, yeah, like in Android world. So you have your own code, you have some third-party libraries, and you have Android SDK. So, and Android SDK is actually very open, you can debug that easily, like, and your code, like there is a huge community around that. So like, if you bump into something weird, like you have ways to find what's going on very easily. Once you jump, kind of layer above and you go into React Native, you're having more complexity on top of that. So you do have complexity of React Native. So it has its own like Android pieces. It has its own JS pieces as well. So you need to know more if something goes wrong. If you go into Expo, which is another stack on top of React Native, you're kind of making this problem even worse. So like you have third stack on top of other stacks. And if something goes wrong, and you don't know like the reason right away. Like let's say like crashes are pretty much like most most of the times they're easy because you can see the stack trace and so on. But sometimes like if memory is leaking, you may have a crash in the weird places and you don't know what's happening and you don't even know where to look at. Like let's say I believe we had cases and backs when we had some crashes elevated after like a release. And those crashes were just in random places, basically. Like the place was always the same. Like we couldn't understand what's happening. And we needed to kind of iterate on fixing this crash a lot to actually find the reason. Uh, and the reason was actually, I believe, in the expo code. Like to get there, you need to go through this, like a lot of like these hoops trying to understand like what's like what's in Android piece, what's in React Native piece, what's in Expo piece. The one thing that is uh, good for remediation in this case is that Expo provides also infrastructure for over-the-air updates. So you can actually get a lot of data out of your client side, uh, real-world perspective easily if you need that. Like let's say for those crashes, we actually probably deliver like five different uh, OTA releases like throughout one day, and we had enough kind of enough time to actually get feedback from users and uh, deliver another OTA with like potential fix, they'll help get feedback again and again and again. That's something you cannot do with like Play Store or App Store. Like five releases in one day and actually having feedback, it's very unlikely. 
So just to follow up there, that sounds pretty cool. Like, and, and that is one of the big promises with like this React Native like infrastructure, right? Uh, but you said you have to ship APK updates for every single thing. How does that work? Like, do you still send, you build the APK, but you deploy it through Expose infrastructure and they do the OTA update? Or is that like a different choice altogether? Like, I, I didn't understand that piece. Yeah, let, let's probably dive into this piece. So basically, when you look at the React Native application, it kind of has two distinct pieces. So it has this native shell, it's like native libraries, the configs, things like Android manifest, whatever you ship into like Play Store. And it has a GS bundle with some assets, like images, videos, whatever you include into that. And this GS bundle is a main business logic for you. Yeah, so it's basically, it's a sense of your application. While the first part, is just infrastructural pieces that you deliver to Play Store to make sure that all right, your application is called Brex, it has the Brex logo, and so on and so on, which don't change much. Yeah. In this case, what happens is that you have those two pieces. When you run the application locally, those two pieces kind of serving from the same uh, source code. Like when you like when uh, you deploy it to App Store, Expo made it. Expo makes it in the way that it can deploy them separately. So you deploy your APK files to the Play Store and you deploy your bundle to the Expo infrastructure. I believe they deploy it to S3 buckets and uh, CloudFront CDNs. So in this case, like when users open their application, they do already have some bundle injected for that, yeah, just for a quick start. But after that, if you deploy newer versions onto those S3 buckets and like CDNs, the application itself can actually check that, all right, there is a new version. So I'll just download the new version. And the next time I start my application, I will just launch the new version. Nice, nice, nice. That, that, that makes sense. Because like I was thinking like if I change my permissions or something, that can't probably, because that's a manifest file change, right? And like obviously you have to go through some things with the Play Store. So in those cases, I imagine it's not necessarily something you can deliver as an OTA. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah, yeah. Like in this case, basically, it's a huge advantage. Like you can deploy OTAs like just to the Expo CLI. Moreover, you can even roll them back. So if you deploy a, an update that is uh, kind of a faulty update, you can even roll them back through one CLI command. And like Expo applications, they even have, I believe in the Expo website, they even have something like they call like error recovery strategy. When they say about like, or it's what happens if you deploy something that's made your application unusable, kind of breaking that. And they have a strategy describing that, all right, so if, if you couldn't launch in this like timeline, or if you see that the application wasn't even drawn and so on and so on, we'll, we'll try to roll the update back for you automatically uh, on the client side. Or you can like just roll it like uh, remotely. That's pretty cool, yeah. Yeah, so that's basically the piece of infrastructure that Expo gives you right out of the box, and everyone has access to that. It's good to be a web developer, baby. <laughs> you know, that rollback mechanism, roll forward. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And basically, Expo kind of, they're kind of trying to bring the idea of web development to mobile. Yeah. So they are making the mobile apps more like web apps in terms of deployments, especially the OTA updates. Uh, they have some a bit more complexity in terms of like where they deploy, where they deploy the JS code and where they deploy the, images slash videos and any assets that you have in your JS bundle and so on. Uh, but like for you, from the perspective of using that, you don't really need to know this complexity. It's good to know. Like they even have an article uh, called like how Expo works. 
uh, where they kind of outline these ideas and like where different pieces of your apps will be served from and how they're going to be used and how users update their uh, versions to their OTAs and so on. It, it has its own drawbacks, though. So one important reason for that is that sometimes you may have some incompatible updates. Like, let's say uh, you like you have a lot of developers and someone introduced a dependency that has a native pieces. So it has to be rebuilt and you have to like ship a new APK file to the App Store because before you can download the new OTAs for that. And if you're not careful, that may happen that you like accidentally may deploy the OTA update for the older versions of the applications that do not have those native dependencies. In this case, it may fail. Uh, and I believe we probably even had cases like that as well. It's kind of tricky with Expo because at this point you need to understand like when, like what changes in the Expo uh, app make it kind of incompatible with the older application versions. Uh, and we're trying to like as a mobile platform team, let's say we're trying to build extra infrastructure and so extra tooling to kind of check uh, in your PRs that all right. So like, do we see that? Then likely it's incompatible. Do we see that? Then likely it's incompatible, and so on, and so on. And I would really love to uh, have more those pieces actually being done by Expo team as well, because I kind of feel like if you go to every like Expo application, it will be very similar in this in this sense. Got it. Got it. So uh, one last question. I actually have two last questions, but uh, one is. A common problem that was cited before with like React Native is the JavaScript core inconsistency piece, right? Like for example, iOS, you, it ships out of the box, but with Android, you have to bundle it because there isn't one. And with React Native, it used to come bundled. And so, you know, that led to app sizes, uh, app size increases. What's the story there? Like does Expo just say, you know, leave it to us. We will ship something that's consistent between platforms and you never have to worry about it. How does that work? Uh, not not really. Uh, Expo still built the React Native application for you. So like eventually, Expo takes the the approach when they just hiding the complexity of React Native development for you, but they're not changing the the React Native foundation for you because they're I don't think they can. But like to address this point, like I believe like React Native itself made a lot of improvements over the last couple of years to address those issues. Like let's say. Yeah, like if you reflect back to Airbnb experience, a part of like organizational structures and them kind of trying to bring React Native into their native apps. Brex is in a very different space. Like they started with React Native. Yeah, we don't really have a lot of native developers. I mean, we do, but like we are not doing the native development. But we, we are not at the point where we need to maintain the JavaScript core, uh, you know, uh, fork as they described in their articles. And I don't think that they will, honestly, maybe at some point, but like in the next two years, it's very unlikely for us. Makes sense, makes sense. And yeah, the last question I had was more, and you kind of touched about this, uh, which is like the organizational sort of uh, challenges, right? Like it's harder to find engineers, uh, mobile engineers wanting to work on React Native, but I guess you answered that in a way, which is Brex started off as a React Native shop. So, you know, that was less of a problem. Uh, just a question for you, right? You were going to go start a new app tomorrow. Like, you know, uh, you've done really well with uh, successfully with Brex. You decide, okay, it's time to build the Constantine app, <laughs> you know, would you start with React Native or would you go native? 
I'm very bullish on the cross-platform slash multi-platform solutions nowadays, to be honest. I think that uh, native will always have its own niche, for sure. Like there will be applications that will definitely need to be native, especially if you're using a lot of like system capabilities, uh, then React Native might not be a choice for you. Flutter is an interesting thing because Flutter has lots of uh, plugins that are good enough to maybe even compete with native experience. But Flutter has drawbacks of like, not that many people have Dart experience. Flutter doesn't really have uh, cross-references with the web teams that much. I don't think people really using Flutter on web that much, to be honest. And I don't think it will it will ramp up very rapidly in the next year or two. So I think React stack will still be uh, the main one. And uh, just a quick follow-up to that. Did your opinion about and specifically about around React Native change after you joined Brex? Because I remember you being... I mean, for folks who don't know, like I've seen some of the code that Constantine has written and it's like some top-notch code, right? So this person is someone who was completely sold on the native pieces before. So did your opinion change after you gave it a shot or were you always sort of in the camp where I'm like, I see this as being the future, so therefore I will try it and now I've tried it and I, therefore I'm like, you know, convinced? Yeah, I I was very interested in a cross-platform approach when I was coming to Bex. I think my opinion changed when I saw uh, a lot of good applications that are built with React Native. And I was amazed, like, let's say you install an application, you use it for a year or two, you don't have any problems. And after that, you learn that, all right, this application is actually written with React Native. And I was kind of, wow, so they can write the application like that in React Native. That's that's impressive. So like, if they can, why can't we? And uh in my previous company, let's say I'm coming from a company called Hootsuite before I was an architect and uh, let's say architect and focusing on infrastructure and tooling for native applications for both Android and iOS. And we always had this discussion about like double price tag for mobile. So like when you're building new features, you need to hire like twice more developers. You need to align them. Velocity between the platforms is always different because you have different stack. Yeah? So you have different architectural approaches. Uh, you have different tooling. Some things are much easier on iOS. Some things are much easier on Android. And it's just a lot of like mental law. Yeah? So it's much easier to have a team of five developers that producing the same amount of features than to have a team of like, than to have two teams of five developers for both Android and iOS. And like long-term, I would say, like if you don't have a good, really good reason nowadays to start with native development. I would not start with native development because React Native, Flutter, even probably like Kotlin multi-platform nowadays are letting you move faster and ship more and more frequently than just the native development. And you'll need to hire less people. You'll need to train less people. You'll need to uh, have less communications in the team to build the same amount of code. In React Native itself, the huge advantage is that you may already have a lot of web infrastructure that may actually be reusable because React Native is React itself. So like everything that is React related, you can just like take out of web like with libraries, like all hooks, all like React context providers and so on. And you can align the patterns between web and mobile. There is also something called the React Native web, which I believe might have its own use cases. Uh, it's basically the way of writing web applications in a React Native manner, like when you don't have a React DOM, but you do have things like 
like images, texts, views, and so on. Yeah, so basically the native components, and they will be transferred into the DOM elements eventually. But I don't think it has a lot of use cases nowadays because the majority of companies actually start with web development. And if you do start with web development, you're likely to just have the standard React plus React DOM kind of application rather than like React Native web application because React Native web application makes sense only when you go cross-platform from the beginning. But yeah, I'm, I'm very bullish on cross-platform development nowadays. I feel that the amount of features that we may ship, that we, we are shipping nowadays with React Native plus Expo, just incredible. I've never seen this much speed in mobile development before. There are drawbacks for sure. Like I kind of covered one of them. When you have a lot of different stacks, you need to understand a lot of different complexity under the hood if you actually want to dive deep into some issues. That happens. But like as long as you know how to scale teams, like let's say in terms of Brex, we having this dedicated mobile platform team that should deal with a lot of this complexity. And we're trying to keep that away from the rest of our team to make sure that or most of the developers have very nice experience of developing. They have very like rapid setup. The CI pipelines are extremely fast with the JavaScript. I believe like at some point we had all of our uh, checks done under a minute in uh, PRs, which is like just insane. Like if you kind of uh, relate to your previous uh, iOS experience, when it, like one build takes like 30 minutes in Xcode, if you're not building that on a very powerful machine, then like it's just like extremely different pace, right? And like we just trying to hold the ship together as a mobile platform team uh, in the sense of like, we know how to deal with those issues. We just need to like iterate on like how to move Expo stack in our favor better, how to scale with that. And Expo definitely has like, like in my view, I would say like, you kind of have three stages with Expo. Yeah? Like you have this like beginning stage from what we probably covered today in the beginning, like how to create the application and what it'll mean for you and so on and so on. You have kind of continuing uh, experience with uh, Expo. Yeah? So when you have a one team of developers and you need to ship those like OTA updates, you need to understand how to work effectively like in, in the scale. And you have a scale kind of stage of Expo. Yeah? So when you have multiple teams, when you need to build more features, when like web developers started to drop some like PRs incidentally into your like mobile code. So they might not know about like what Xbox you covers from them at all. And in this case, you in my view, like you definitely need dedicated team for the third stage. And that's what we're doing at Brax. Yeah, like we're having dedicated team to deal with complexity of our systems, not Expo only, like a lot of other things, like CI pipelines, like a lot of tooling configuration, like making our life better, working with like storybooks and so on. This is, yeah, I mean, this is fascinating because I can see so many dimensions. So like you said, right? Like, you know, there is, how does the error tracking use? What is like crash library? How does CICD work? You know, how does it play with other aspects of like uh, the native process? This was all, yeah, I mean, this is, this is great. That, thank you so much, Constantine. Like, this is a lot of good stuff. Yeah, thank you very much. Before we wind the show down, was there anything else that uh, you wanted to like talk to us about? Maybe like, you know, if folks wanted to try Expo and, you know, uh, wanted to sort of use this same approach, but had questions, is there a good way they can reach out uh, to you? You know, maybe like Twitter or yeah, any other way to uh, get a hold of you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll I'll probably dump like Twitter handle somewhere. I actually... I'm not using Twitter very uh, very much, but I'll probably just create a new account and like build 
dump that into uh, the show notes, so like you'll be able to reach me and so on. Uh, I'm mostly using Twitter for kind of staying on top of things, but not interacting a lot. It just takes a lot of time. <laughs> perfect, perfect. No, that makes sense. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, Don, if folks wanted to reach out to you, what's a good place to do that? Twitter or on Instagram, same handle, just at Don Felker. And what about you, Kaushik? How can they get a hold of you? Uh, they can reach me at Kaushik Gopal. That's my full name on both Twitter and Instagram and most other social channels. Thank you all so much for listening. And thanks again, Constantine. We really appreciate it. This is, again, it's exciting to see some uh, kind of resurgence. And I'm, I'm curious to see if there are other listeners out there who also use Expo. And we'd love to hear uh, from you in our Twitter handle. That's Fragmented Cast, in case you folks don't remember. Uh, but yeah, thank you all so much for listening. And we will catch you in the next episode. All right, before we head out, don't forget, you can get three months of Stoa, the community platform for creators, by going to getstoa.com and plug in your email address. And that's it. Again, that's getstoa.com. That's it for the show, folks. Fragmented is hosted by Don Felker and me, Kaushik Gopal. We edit and produce all the episodes here on Fragmented. You can find more Fragmented episodes at fragmentedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode.